Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad Baruch Shem Kehud Malkuto Le'olam Vaed Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Blessed be the name of the glory of His kingdom forever and ever. Amen. Good morning, Mishpacha. Welcome to the Daily Audio Torah. I'm Laura Densmore, your host, and I'm so glad you're joining in with me today. Just a quick note of explanation before we begin our reading for today. Did you know that there is now a Daily Audio Torah phone app available, both for iPhones and Android phones? Just go to Daily Audio Torah website and on the navigation menu, click Get the Phone App. A drop-down menu will display, one for iPhone and one for Android phone. Select for the type of phone you have and you will see the instructions there for how to get the free phone app for Daily Audio Torah. And you will be able to listen on the go, wherever you go, with one click. Are you being blessed by this ministry? Please consider supporting Daily Audio Torah. You can make a one-time or a recurring donation by going to dailyaudiotorah.com and then click on the Give pick on the navigation menu. You can then make a secure online donation there. Thank you for your prayers, and thank you for your support. I love to hear from my listeners. You can leave a comment under any one of the audio episodes, or you can send me an email at bridgeconnectorministries at gmail.com. Now let's continue our journey through the entire Bible in one year. This week we are reading from the Israel Bible for the Hebrew Scriptures and the King James for the Brit Hadashah. Today we continue the Torah portion, Noah, and it means rest. Genesis 7, 1-16 Then Hashem said to Noah, Go into the ark with all your household, for you alone have I found righteous before me in this generation. Of every clean animal you shall take seven pairs, males and their mates, and of every animal that is not clean, two, a male and its mate. Of the birds of the sky also seven pairs, male and female, to keep seed alive upon all the earth. For in the seven days' time I will make it rain upon the earth forty days and forty nights, and I will blot out from the earth all existence that I created. And Noah was six hundred years old when the flood came waters upon the earth. Noah, with his sons, his wife and his sons' wives, went into the ark because of the waters of the flood, of the clean animals, of the animals that are not clean, of the birds, and of everything that creeps on the ground. Two of each, male and female, came to Noah into the ark as Hashem had commanded Noah. And on the seventh day the waters of the flood came upon the earth. In the six hundredth year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the seventeenth day of the month, on that day, all the fountains of the great deep burst apart, and the floodgates of the sky broke open. The rain fell on the earth forty days and forty nights. That same day Noah 
and Noah's sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, went into the ark with Noah's wife and the three wives of his sons. They and all beasts of every kind, all cattle of every kind, all creatures of every kind that creep on the earth, and all birds of every kind, every bird, every winged thing. They came to Noah into the ark, to each of all flesh in which there was breath of life. Thus they that entered comprised male and female of all flesh, as Hashem had commanded him, and Hashem shut him in. Jeremiah fifty one fifty four to fifty two thirty four Hark an outcry from Babylon great destruction from the land of the Chaldeans for Hashem is ravaging Babylon he will put an end to her great din whose roar is like waves of mighty waters whose tumultuous noise resounds for a ravager is coming upon Babylon Her warriors shall be captured, their bows shall be snapped, for Hashem is a God of requital, He deals retribution. I will make her officials and wise men drunk, her governors and prefects and warriors, and they shall sleep an endless sleep. Never to awaken, declares the king, whose name is Yahweh Savayot. Thus said the Lord of hosts, Babylon's broad wall shall be knocked down, and her high gates set afire. Peoples shall labor for naught, and nations have wearied themselves for fire. The instructions that the Navi Jeremiah gave to Sariah son of Neriah son of Maxiah, when the latter went with King Zedekiah of Judah to Babylon in the fourth year of Zedekiah's reign, Sariah was quartermaster. Jeremiah wrote down in one scroll all the disaster that would come upon Babylon, all these things that are written concerning Babylon. And Jeremiah said to Sariah, When you get to Babylon, see that you read out all these words. And say, Hashem, you yourself have declared concerning this place, that it shall be cut off without inhabitant, man or beast, that it shall be a desolation for all time. And when you finish reading this scroll, tie a stone to it and hurl it into the Euphrates. And say, Thus shall Babylon sink and never rise again because of the disaster that I will bring upon it. And nations shall have wearied themselves for fire. Thus far, the words of Jeremiah. Zedekiah was 21 years old when he became king and he reigned in Jerusalem for 11 years. His mother's name was Hamutal, daughter of Jeremiah of Libna. He did what was displeasing to Hashem, just as Jehoiakim had done. Indeed, Jerusalem and Judah were a cause of anger for Hashem, so that he cast them out of his presence. Zedekiah rebelled against the king of Babylon. And in the ninth year of his reign, on the tenth day of the tenth month, King Nebuchadnezzar moved against Jerusalem with his whole army. They besieged it 
and built towers against it all around. The city continued in a state of siege until the eleventh year of King Zedekiah. By the ninth day of the fourth month, the famine had become acute in the city. There was no food left for the common people. Then the wall of the city was breached. All the soldiers fled. They left the city by night through the gate between the double walls, which is near the king's garden. The Chaldeans were all around the city, and they set out for the Arabah. But the Chaldean troops pursued the king, and they overtook Zedekiah in the steps of Jericho, as his entire force left him and scattered. They captured the king and brought him before the king of Babylon at Riblah, in the region of Hamath, and he put him on trial. The king of Babylon had Zedekiah's sons slaughtered before his eyes. He also had all the officials of Judah slaughtered at Riblah. Then the eyes of Zedekiah were put out, and he was chained in bronze fetters. The king of Babylon brought him to Babylon and put him in prison, where he remained to the day of his death. On the tenth day of the fifth month, that was the nineteenth year of King Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, Nebuzaradan, the chief of the guards, came to represent the king of Babylon in Jerusalem. He burned the house of Hashem, the temple, the king's palace, and all the houses of Jerusalem. He burned down the house of every notable person. The entire Chaldean force that was with the chief of the guards tore down all the walls of Jerusalem on every side. The remnant of the people left in the city, the defectors, who had gone over to the king of Babylon, and what remained of the craftsmen were taken into exile by Nebuzaradan, the chief of the guards. But some of the poorest elements of the population, some of the poorest in the land, were left by Nebuzaradan, the chief of the guards, to be vine dressers and field hands. The Chaldeans broke up the bronze columns of the house of Hashem, the stands, and the bronze tank that was in the house of Hashem, and they carried all the bronze away to Babylon. They also took the pails, scrapers, snuffers, sprinkling bowls, ladles, and all the other bronze vessels used in the service. The chief of the guards took whatever was of gold and whatever was of silver, basins, firepans, sprinkling bowls, pails, menorahs, ladles, and jars. The two columns, the one tank, and the twelve bronze oxen which supported it, and the stands which King Solomon had provided for the house of Hashem, all these objects contained bronze beyond weighing. As for the columns, each was eighteen amot high and twelve amot in circumference. It was hollow, and the metal was four fingers thick. It had a bronze capital above it. The height of each capital was five amot, and there was meshwork decorated with pomegranates about the capital, all made of bronze, and so for the second column also with pomegranates. There were ninety-six pomegranates facing outward. All the pomegranates around the meshwork amounted to one hundred. 
The chief of the guards also took Sariah, the chief Kohen, and Sephaniah, the deputy Kohen, and the three guardians of the threshold. And from the city he took a eunuch, who was in command of the soldiers, seven royal counselors who were present in the city, the scribe of the army commander who was in charge of mustering the people of the land, and sixty of the common people who were inside the city. Nebuzaradan, the chief of the guards, took them and brought them to the king of Babylon at Riblah. The king of Babylon had them struck down and put to death at Riblah in the region of Hamath. Thus Judah was exiled from its land. This is the number of those whom Nebuchadrezzar exiled in the seventh year, 3,023 Judeans. In the eighteenth year of Nebuchadnezzar, 832 persons were exiled from Jerusalem. And in the twenty-third year of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuzaradan, the chief of the guards, exiled 745 Judeans. The total amounted to 4,600 persons. In the thirty-seventh year of the exile of King Jehoiakim of Judah, on the twenty-fifth day of the twelfth month, King Evil Merodach of Babylon, in the year he became king, took note of King Jehoiakim of Judah and released him from prison. He spoke kindly to him and gave him a throne above those of other kings who were with him in Babylon. He removed his prison garments and Jehoiakim ate regularly in his presence the rest of his life. A regular allotment of food was given him by order of the king of Babylon, an allotment for each day to the day of his death, all the days of his life. Titus 3, 1-15 Put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers, to obey magistrates, to be ready to do every good work, to speak evil of no man to be no brawlers, but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But after the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to To his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, which he shed on us abundantly through Yeshua, our Savior. That being justified by his grace, we should make heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is a faithful saying, and these things I will that you affirm constantly that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto men. But avoid foolish questions and genealogies and contentions and strivings about the law, for they are unprofitable and vain. A man that is a heretic after the first and second admonition reject, knowing that he that is such is subverted and sins being condemned of himself. When I shall send Artemis unto you, or Tychicus, 
Be diligent to come unto me to Nicopolis, for I have determined there to winter. Bring Zenus, the lawyer, and Apollos on their journey diligently, that nothing be wanting unto them. And let ours also learn to maintain good works for necessary uses, that they be not unfruitful. All that are with me salute you. Greet them that love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Amen. Psalm 101-5 Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all you lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know you that the Lord, he is God. It is he that has made us, and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving, and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him, and bless his name. For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endures to all generations. Proverbs 26, 18 and 19 As a madman who casts firebrands, arrows, and death, so is the man that deceives his neighbor and says, Am not I in sport? I'd like to begin today with today's Torah portion from Genesis chapter 7. And in this chapter, we have read about how God gave instructions to Noah to build the ark. And now he's at the very end of this task. He needs to fill the ark up because seven days hence the flood, the rainwaters will be coming. So he's told in verse 2 to take seven pairs of every clean animal. And of of the animals that are not clean, only two pairs, a male and its mate. Now, a lot of times we can kind of skip over that. And in our minds, when we recall the story of Noah and the flood, we think, okay, so he took a pair of every single animal. But actually, what this is saying in verse 2 is he took seven pairs of clean animals and only one pair of unclean animals. So there's a distinction. There are seven times more animals that are clean versus unclean. So this goes to the dietary laws that are spoken of in the book of Leviticus, of what's clean, which means it's it's food. It's defined as food and you can eat it, versus what is unclean. It's not food. It's not to be eaten. And an example of the unclean would be of Swine, pork, pig, shellfish, lobster, crab, all those kinds of things are unclean and not to be eaten. So even in the provision of the preserving and protecting of life on board the ark, God was making a distinction between the clean and the unclean, between that which is considered to be food versus not food. And so then we, you know, God tells him, okay, in seven days, there's going to be 40 days and 40 nights of rain, and he's going to blot out from all the earth everything that he created because of all the wickedness and the evil that was upon the land. And so he gives him a heads up, seven days, the rain is coming, and it's going to last for 40 days. Now, the number 40 is very significant. The number 40 denotes and implies judgment and testing. 
the rain fell upon the earth forty days and forty nights, and the fountains of the deep, that is, the deep groundwaters below, were loosed and released. So it was a time of judgment and testing. Similarly, when Yeshua, uh, after he was baptized by John the Baptist, he went off into a solitary place into the wilderness for forty days and forty nights, and there he was tested. He was tempted and he did not fall into sin. So 40, the number 40 is significant. It's the number of testing and judgment. So they were safe on board the ark. The ark is a picture, a shadow picture of salvation that God in his grace and in his mercy told Noah, the one righteous man that he found upon the earth, to build this ark and that he would be protected and preserved as long as he was inside the ark. While, in a sense, what the Lord did was he mikvahed the entire earth. He washed it clean of all the evil and the corruption that was upon the earth. He gave it a mikvah. Let's jump into Jeremiah chapter 51. And I want to speak to you with the last two verses in that chapter, verses 63 and 64, where it is written, And when you finish reading this scroll, tie a stone to it and hurl it into the Euphrates and say, Thus shall Babylon sink and never rise again because of the disaster that I will bring upon it. And nations shall have wearied themselves for fire. Thus far, the words of Jeremiah. Now, the principle here is biblical history is prophecy that the events that literally happened in history literally happened to the forefathers, but they are also a prophetic blueprint and template for the last day's generation. And often what happened historically gets repeated. It's like a script of a play. The actors change, but the script remains the same. So this prophecy can deal with the ancient historical kingdom of Babylon, and Babylon, the historical ancient kingdom, is gone. It's never been rebuilt. It geographically was in the Middle East, north of Israel, in what is modern-day Iraq. But it's also future prophetic of an end-of-days daughter of Babylon nation that the Lord is going to deal with and take it down. So these two verses, I want to cross-reference them now to Revelation chapter 18. Now remember, the verses said, when you finish reading the scroll, tie a stone to it and hurl it into the Euphrates. So that's a prophetic action, and it symbolizes something. It means something. The message is, thus, Babylon is going to sink and never rise again because of the disaster I will bring upon it. So this is a prophetic word for Babylon then, but it's also a prophetic word for the Babylon of today. Revelation chapter 18, verses 21. I'm going to back it up to verse 20. Rejoice over her, you heaven, and you holy apostles and prophets, for God has avenged you on her. Verse 21. And a mighty angel took up a stone, like a great millstone, and cast it into the sea, saying, Thus with violence shall that great city Babylon be thrown down, and shall be found no more. And so... Putting that into context, this is the final end of days judgment 
of the Babylon the Great, the mystery harlot woman. Babylon the Great has fallen, has fallen. She's become a habitation of devils. All the nations have drunk of the wine of her fornication. The kings of the earth have committed fornication with her. The merchants of the earth are waxed and rich through the abundance of her delicacies and her ultimate end and ultimate fate. Verse 11, the merchants of the earth weep and mourn over her, for no man buys their merchandise anymore. And um, so in verse 21, the, the same prophetic picture is shown. A mighty angel takes up a stone, casts it into the sea, and says, Thus with violence shall that great city Babylon be thrown down and shall be found no more at all. So these two passages are connected from Jeremiah 51, 63 and 64. This is historical, but it's also future prophetic. Now let's jump into Jeremiah chapter 52. And I want to look at verse three, where it is written, indeed, Jerusalem and Judah were a cause of anger for Hashem, so that he cast them out of his presence. Zedekiah rebelled against the king of Babylon. So the Israel Bible commentary for this verse reads as follows. Jeremiah's final chapter repeats the description of the downfall of Judah and Jerusalem at the hands of the Babylonians. One might be tempted to separate Hashem from history and state that politics and theology do not mix. What Jeremiah teaches is that the two work hand in hand. On the surface, Babylon is another superpower overrunning a minor vassal state. However, Judah is vulnerable not because of its small army, but because it refuses to perform justice and righteousness and worships idols in Hashem's holy land. It is their sinful behavior and God's corresponding anger that leads to Israel's exile, just as God's everlasting love for his people and his land will eventually lead to their full return and restoration and to the redemption of the entire world. Now, jumping down to Jeremiah chapter 52, verse 6. By the ninth day of the fourth month, the famine had become acute in the city. There was no food left for the common people. And now, jumping down to verse 13. On the tenth, let's see, he, let's look at verse 12. On the tenth day of the fifth month, that was the nineteenth year of King Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, Nebuzaradan, the chief of the guards, came to represent the king of Babylon in Jerusalem. He burned the house of Hashem, that is the temple, the king's palace, and all the houses of Jerusalem. He burned down the house of every notable person. So the ninth of Av is a very notorious date in Jewish history. It was on the ninth of Av that the ten spies came back with the negative report about the land, sowing fear and doubt and unbelief amongst the Israelites. And so they ended up having to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. Again, the number 40, the number of judgment. And it was on the ninth of Av that the temple, the first temple, was burned down and destroyed as described here in this chapter by Nebuchadnezzar and his men. 
and it was also on the ninth of Av that the second temple was destroyed and burned down. It was on the ninth of Av that Himmler came up with his final solution that he presented to Hitler regarding the Jewish people. It was on the ninth of Av that the hum, uh, Gaza Strip was evicted. Actually, it was the very next day on the tenth of Av because they realized, oops, we've scheduled this for the ninth of Av. Bad day, so they did it on the tenth of Av. Evicted all the Jewish people out of the Gaza Strip. So many, many terrible things have happened. It's a dark day in Jewish history, and um, it began with the ten spies of walking in unbelief, not trusting the word of God, not trusting what God said. So hope, but there is a promise in Zechariah chapter eight, verse 23, or actually verse 19, Zechariah chapter eight, verse 19, that the fast of the fourth, the fast of the fifth, the fast of the seventh and the fast of the ninth would one day become days of joy and celebration for Judah. So it's a prophecy that one day this day of mourning and sorrow and grief will become a day of joy and celebration for Judah, for the Jewish people. So it will be very interesting to watch and see how God might fulfill that prophecy. Finally, I want to talk to you about our reading from Titus. Verse 5. Titus chapter 3, verses 5, 6, and 7. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Yeshua our Messiah, that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is a foundational principle to always keep in the forefront of your mind. We are saved by grace, not by works, so that no man can boast. Sometimes it can be easy to slip into autopilot. We live in a culture where we have to work and we have to earn. We work in in classrooms to earn points, to get good grades. We work in the work world uh, so many hours per week to earn so many dollars for our take-home pay. We work to try to please others, and we, we get into a works mindset and a works mentality. And this can carry over into our spiritual life, our, our church life, that we get involved with a fellowship or a congregation, and we start to work because we're trying to please God. Now, is doing good works a bad thing? Not at all. But we have to remember that we began in grace. We're saved by faith due to the grace and the mercy that God poured out upon us. We could not save ourselves. We needed God. We needed Yeshua to do it for us. We are saved by grace through faith and trusting in him and in the finished work that he completed upon the cross. And so after we're saved, then because we are saved by faith through grace, and now his Holy Spirit indwells us, 
and he's given us a new heart, taken out the heart of stone and given us a heart of flesh, then we can do mitzvot. Then we can do good works. Why? Because we love him. Because we want to please our master. Because we want to please our king out of love. It is the love of Yeshua that compels us to do good works, to share the good news, to go forth and share the gospel and um, to minister to his people. The last point I want to bring out here is Titus chapter 3, verse 9. Avoid foolish questions and genealogies and contentions and strivings about the law or the Torah, for they are unprofitable and vain. Beloved, there is an awful lot of that kind of strife and contention that goes on in the Hebrew Roots Messianic community. On Facebook, in person, in live fellowships and congregations, people quibble and quabble and squabble over silly things about what's kosher and what's not, about how to say the name, about what calendar to follow, what new moon do you follow, is it the dark moon, the sliver moon, the uh, is it a flat earth, a round earth, it's all of these silly contentions that bring nothing but dis- division and strife. Avoid foolish questions. They are unprofitable and vain. So if that kind of stuff is going on around you, don't participate in it. Walk away. Don't add gasoline to the fire. And in fact, a gentle answer turns away wrath. Um, You know, you can redirect the conversation, say, you know, this is just uh, bringing forth strife and contention. And why don't we just talk about something else and change the subject? Um, or walk away, but don't be involved in contentions and in strife over silly things. We are to walk in love and we are to walk in humility and to, and, and gentleness in love towards one another in honor and respect towards one another. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these fall feasts that we've come through for Feast of Trumpets, for Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, and for finishing up Sukkot, the season of our joy. Abba, I pray that as we go forward in our walk and we are now in a new Torah reading cycle, help us, Father, to be faithful, to be committed to being in your word every day, to listening to it, reading it, studying it, and taking it into our heart and into our spirit. May we purpose and choose this day to take your word in, into our heart, and then walk it out and apply it in our lives by the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit. We ask these things in Yeshua's name. Amen. The Aaronic Blessing from Numbers chapter 6, 24 to 26. Adonai bless you and keep you. Adonai make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. Adonai lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.